going to continue our vacation from Exodus this morning, and we're going to be in John chapter 21, and we're going to focus primarily on verses 15 through 19. As you turn there, I I want to remind you that this text is not just about Peter, it's not just about the disciples, it's about you and me. It's about Jesus building his church. Our main idea this morning, what I want you to walk away with, is that love for Jesus is evidenced by love for his church. We'll unpack this truth by considering Peter's restoration and recommission in light of his past and his future. We'll take a look at both his past and his future from what will be his present in John 21. And so we'll be taking quick field trips to John chapter 13 and chapter 18 to form the backdrop against which our current scene is set. So if you're the type that wants to know where we're going and turn there in your Bible, you can put fingers in John 13 and John 18 and then turn at the appropriate time. Uh, If you are less motivated and more lazy like myself, you can merely listen or look on the screen when the time comes. So that's our roadmap. That's the course we're going to follow this morning. Before we get started, let's Go to the Lord in prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would silence our minds and tune the the focus of our hearts on you. Remove anything that might distract us from submitting ourselves to your word. We pray that uh, we would hear your voice this morning that we would be obedient to it, that your uh, word would break bones where they need to be broken and bring mending where there needs to be mending. We ask that you would afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted with the truth of your great gospel. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Make the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart acceptable in your heart, Lord, as I speak your word to your people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's set the scene a little bit here on the front end. At the beginning of John chapter 21, Jesus has already come and lived a perfect life. He's already died a perfect death. He's risen from the dead, and he is on a resurrection tour He's appeared to Mary and the disciples and Thomas and the disciples again, in addition to many others. He's letting everybody know that he is alive and well. Now, at the beginning of chapter 21, Peter and some of the other guys have decided to go fishing, and they cannot catch anything after fishing all night. However, as day breaks, they see a man standing on the shore who shouts to them, Hey, you kids catch any fish? To which they respond, not a single one. The man then responds, have you, have you tried casting the net on the other side of the boat? Do that, you'll have better luck. At which point I imagine, incredulously, the fishermen who have been fishermen their whole lives, save for the time they followed Jesus, looked at one another and thought, this guy is crazy. Best not to offend him, let's just do it. Bring up the empty nets once more. But they toss the nets on the other side of the boat, 
and the nets fill with fish. At which point it becomes clear, to John at least, who the figure on the shore is. And he announces, it is the Lord. Then Peter does his best Michael Phelps impression. He dives into the water and he swims to the shore. The boat can't get to Jesus fast enough. Peter wants to be with his Lord. Jesus has been up for a while and so he's got a little charcoal fire going. Put that uh, on the back burner. Remember, it's a charcoal fire. Uh, Some people say that charcoal is the only way to cook, and this verse might give that some weight. I I don't know. Anyhow, Jesus has a fire going. He tells the disciples to grab some of the fish they just caught so that he can cook breakfast. Now, my my wife is an excellent cook. Um, I'm also incapable in the kitchen, and so most days she makes breakfast for me, and most days it's, it's pretty good. However, I am certain that she does not cook as well as Jesus. I mean, don't miss how amazing this scene is. Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one that Colossians 1 says holds the very fabric of the cosmos together, is cooking breakfast. I mean, I'm willing to wager it was delicious. So here you have Peter, the guys, and Jesus. They're just hanging out by the fire after enjoying a meal together. It's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful scene that gets a little bit awkward. And Jesus intends to make it awkward as he looks to Peter and rips the scab off of, of an old wound by asking the same question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus is deliberately digging up Peter's past, which will take us back to John chapter 13. If this were a movie, this is the point at which we would see the flashback sequence, right? So the lights would flash and everything, and Peter would be younger. And there they are with Jesus. We catch them in the middle of a conversation in verse 36 of John chapter 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, that's seriously. I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Uh, This conversation between Peter and Jesus comes on the heels of Jesus' announcement that he will be lifted up in death, his washing of the disciples' feet, and ultimately the giving of a a new command. If In that same section there, you want to go down to verse 33. This is what kind of set the stage for that part of the conversation. He says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. D.A. Carson comments, Having announced his departure and having insisted that his disciples cannot now come with him, Jesus begins to lay out what he expects of them while he is away. Unfortunately, 
they still cannot get over the unambiguous insistence that Jesus' departure is imminent. And so Peter interrupts and presses the point. Jesus is saying, I'm going away. While I go away, what you need to do, how you get ready for the time period while, while I'm gone, is that you love one another. Notice that two things are happening in this little conversation. Jesus is giving them that important instruction about what to do when he is gone, and Peter and the other disciples as well give no response to the new command. It's almost as if they don't even hear it, right? Peter is focused on Jesus, yet he seems not to hear his words. I wonder if you've ever been guilty of that. You've focused so much on one aspect of Jesus' teaching that you missed another aspect of it. To the point that it could be said of you that you failed to hear what Scripture says on this or that topic. Peter proves to us here, the disciples prove to us here that we need to hear the whole of what God has to say. We need to study the whole counsel of God. But can we, can we really blame Peter for paying particular attention to this, uh, this announcement that Jesus is leaving? We can't blame him for being hung up on the fact that Jesus is departing. The man that he's walked with for the past few years, the one who beckoned him, come and follow me, has said, I am leaving. And so Jesus understands these concerns, and he offers some comfort to Peter and the other disciples. Right after his prediction of Peter's denials, he goes on to offer them this sediment. Chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus continues on throughout this section to teach on things like the Holy Spirit and abiding in Him. But one topic to which He returns over and over again is the importance of faithfulness to His commands, which are aimed at preparing the disciples for life after He is gone. John 14, 15. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Then in John chapter 15, verses 10 through 14. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Throughout this section, which is known as the farewell discourse, Jesus is impressing upon his disciples their need to continue following him by loving one another as he has loved them. The command is sprinkled throughout the section. And it's this command to love one another that hangs over the rest of Mark's, uh, Mark's, we were in Mark too long, huh? Over the rest of John's gospel The new commandment is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate. Yet it is profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Love one another. At this point, the disciples haven't put the pieces about Jesus' coming death and resurrection together just yet. 
And so they don't feel the full weight of this command. Yeah, they know Jesus loves them. Right? They, they sang the Bible school songs. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But they don't feel the full weight of it. They don't know that, that he's going to die for them. They won't know truly how much Jesus loves them until he bears the weight of their sin in the whole of God's wrath on the cross. I mean, after all, there is knowing and then there's knowing, right? For example, you, you can know about cancer, right? You can meet people who have cancer. You can read about it in books. You can study it. But you know cancer in a much different way if you get cancer. I mean, if you have had or have cancer, you know it in an intimate way. And you know it in your bones. There's knowing and then there's knowing. My friends, Jesus went to the depths of hell on the cross so that you might know the heights of his love for you. So that you might know the heights of his love for you in your bones. The love of the Christian God for his people is not some ethereal concept. It has blood and flesh on it. He loves you enough to die for. And don't be confused. Jesus' death is not tawdry or meaningless. Jesus didn't just show his love by dying, right? It wasn't a pointless death. You don't show somebody how much you love them just by dying. In the same way, when I was courting my wife, I didn't go, hey, I love you this much, and then run into oncoming traffic. I mean, she would have been like, dude's a little bit weird. Don't really understand what was going on there. My death would have been meaningless. Jesus' death isn't like this. His death isn't meaningless. He didn't just die, he died for you. His death is necessary for your life. Jesus' death is a substitutionary death. He takes the punishment you deserve in your place so that you can enjoy his place, the place of a royal son, at the right hand of the Father where there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus is killed as a rebel for your rebellion against God. Friends, when you look upon the cross of Christ, one of the thoughts that must come to your mind is that it should have been me. And it should have been. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us together alive with Christ, for by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. In light of Jesus' love for us, in light of Jesus' love for you, displayed on the cross, I want you to feel the full weight of Jesus' command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. It's a heavy commandment, but the disciples don't feel it yet because they're concerned with Jesus' imminent departure. I mean, in fact, Jesus has, or Paul, Peter has said to Jesus, look, you're not going to leave me. I'm going to follow you even if it means my death. And as the night unfolds, Peter 
has an opportunity to prove his words. Jesus is betrayed with a kiss, and soldiers come to bind him. Peter, making good on a promise, uh, cuts a guy's ear off, if you remember. They come to bind Jesus, and Peter's like, ha ha! He cuts the guy's ear off, which means he's either really, really good with a sword, like precise enough to slice his ear off, or he's really bad, aimed for the head and happened to catch an ear. Either way, uh, Jesus tells him to stop that foolishness, picks the dude's ear back up, and then just pastes it back on his head and heals him. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword, Peter. Put it away. Jesus allows himself to be bound and led toward the place of the skull. And he stops before the high priest. Peter was not ready for all this. Still, he would try to keep his word. He followed Jesus together with John, and, and they get to this place where Jesus is going before the high priest, and Peter doesn't know enough people to get into the court, and so John, though, he has connections, so he knows a guy who knows a guy who gets Peter in, and, and Peter gets in, and it's at this point we read in chapter 18, verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you are also not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire, note that again, because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. John does the same thing uh, that Mark does with kind of a story sandwich here. He's put Jesus in the middle of this, and so we're going to skip that section and go down to 25 where Peter's denials continue. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. He said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. See, Peter denies Jesus because he's not ready to follow Jesus on Jesus' terms. Sure, he was ready to follow Jesus when he thought that meant fighting alongside the conquering Messiah King. He was ready to follow the lion, not the slaughtered lamb. How about you? It is for good reason that Paul tells Timothy, all who wish to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. It's for good reason that Jesus said a slave is not above his master. Friends, we follow a suffering Savior. Consequently, we should expect suffering, and we should be prepared for it. I wonder, are you ready to follow Jesus into suffering? Do you follow Jesus of Nazareth, the one who calls you to pick up a cross and follow him? or some powerless Jesus of your own creation who coddles you in your comfort. Peter was not ready to follow a crucified Messiah. He was not ready to pick up his cross and follow Jesus. He was not ready to lay down his life for Jesus. But Jesus was ready to lay down his life for Peter and for you. He was ready to take it up again after three days, ready to appear that his person and his power might be proven in John 21. He is ready to recommission and reaffirm Peter. Do you notice how Jesus has set the stage for this conversation? He's not just cooking breakfast to cook breakfast. Notice what kind of fire he has built. Charcoal. 
We only see charcoal fire in two places in the whole of the New Testament, at Peter's denial and here. Jesus is giving Peter another chance to affirm his love for him three times rather than deny. All right, John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, like when mom uses your full name when you're a kid for me justin dean like like almost you're in trouble or like something sincere is going on simon son of john do you love me more than these that could be these fish or these disciples people debate i don't think it matters do you love me is the heart of the question peter said to him yes lord you know that i love you and jesus said to him feed my lambs Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. D.A. Carson notes, as Peter had boasted of his reliability in the presence of his fellow disciples, so this restoration to public ministry is affected in a similarly public environment. As he had disowned Jesus three times, so Jesus requires this elementary yet profound confession three times. There's not a trace of self-righteousness in Peter's response. He can only appeal to the fact that the Lord knows everything and therefore knows Peter's heart. Jesus knows more than just Peter's heart, though. He knows Peter entirely. He knows that Peter is flawed and has failed, and he knows that he'll fail again. But still he is willing to absorb the cost of Peter's sin on the cross. Still he is willing to grant forgiveness. Still Jesus loves Peter. Indeed, Peter denied Jesus with his words, and his fellow disciples denied Jesus with their actions. They all left him and fled. But Jesus would not leave them. Jesus is bringing up these painful events to remind Peter and the others of the elementary truth of the gospel. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I mean, Jesus is saying, Peter, you did not call yourself to me, and you will not keep yourself with me. I called you. I will keep you. Sin is no longer your identity. I am. Hurting Christian, if you are here this morning, let me encourage you to rest in this truth, that Jesus loves you. He's called you. And he will keep you. Sin is no longer your identity. Jesus is. Non-Christian, there is grace and forgiveness for you today as well. You need only turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Jesus here is, is letting Peter and everyone involved know that he loves Peter. And he's been made right with him. When, when you're loved like this, when you're loved in such a radical way, the right question to ask, the right response is, how do I love back? How do I return this affection? 
So how is it that Peter is to love Jesus back? How are we to love Jesus back in response to his love? Well, it's here we see that new command that Jesus gave once more. This time it's said three times, but with shepherd imagery. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my lambs. Love your brothers and sisters. Do you love me, Peter? Tend my sheep. Love my family. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Love the church. Jesus could be accurately paraphrased like this. If you love me, then you will love my church. That's how Peter loves God back. Love for Jesus is evidenced by love for his church. These three questions that Jesus asks Peter are also, I mean, they're for us. Just put your name in there. Do you love me, John, Jim, Lucy, Lucas? Jesus then gives you the instruction for how to love him. You love him by loving his people. I mean, you see the other people in the room? That is how you love Jesus back. By truly, genuinely, really loving one another. We love Jesus by loving what he loves most. His bride, his church. Those that he laid his life down for. You know, when you love somebody, you learn to love what they love. This is why my wife enjoys listening to fantasy uh, novels in the car on road trips. It's why uh, when she watches football, she roots for the WVU, the West Virginia University Mountaineers. Because she loves me. It's why every once in a while I'll I'll watch some HGTV or or something lame like that with her, right? (laughs) When, When you love someone, you learn to love what they love. And if we love Jesus, we love what he loves. We feed, we tend, we care for his people, the church. Christian, you love Jesus back by genuinely loving and building relationships with the people in this room. There's a uh, a comedian He's a little rough around the edges, and so I can't recommend him to you. But I ran across one of his routines. Uh, His name is Louis C.K. And and in one of his his bits, he he jokes about the impulse to give away his first-class ticket to a soldier when they come to board a plane. He says this, Servicemen and women always fly coach. I've never seen one in first class. And every time I see a soldier on a plane, I always think, I should give him my seat. It'd be the right thing to do. It'd be easy to do. It'd mean a lot to him. And then he says, I never have. Let me make that clear. I've never done it, not once. And here's the worst part. I was actually proud of myself for for just having the thought of this. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm such a great guy. This is so nice of me to think of doing. And then totally never doing it. I think that's kind of how we think about loving the church. We have the thought, sounds really good, we pat ourselves on the back for having the thought, but we never really love anyone. Never really do it. Friends, Jesus is calling us to a demonstrated love like his own. 
Love is action. Is there someone in this room that you've failed to love? Someone you've been unwilling to forgive or include in your life? Someone you've been unwilling to offer correction to or pray for? Someone you've been unwilling to help with their yard work? Someone you've been unwilling to help with their finances or kids? Someone you've been unwilling to visit who feels alone and is struggling with loneliness? I mean, it's, it's easy to agree with that platitude, love the church. It's much harder to actually apply it to love that person in the church. For all y'all that thought about Herschel, that's not nice. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, a failure to love is sin. It's time to repent. We must be willing to follow Jesus in giving everything according to the will of God for the good of God's people and God's glory. This is what Jesus summons Peter to and tells him that he will do in the future. Peter will give himself for God's people and God's glory. Remember back in chapter 13, Peter said, I will lay down my life for you. Well, he does eventually. Church tradition tells us that Peter is crucified upside down for spreading the gospel. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So after the, the three do you love me's, it's kind of a Kodak moment filled with warm fuzzies. We expect Jesus and Peter to maybe hug it out and to go on as before. But instead, Jesus gives Peter this command. You will go where you do not want to. And Jesus makes things awkward and then he, he gives a command here. This is an unexpected guy. We have to ask ourselves, though, where is it that Peter does not want to go? And I think we find our answer when we consider Peter's three denials. Why would he deny Jesus in the first place? Because he did not want to end up arrested like Jesus, let alone die. He didn't even know that Jesus was going to be crucified at this point. Just being arrested was enough to deter Peter. Peter sees Jesus beginning the long walk to Calgary's hill, and he is arrested not by the authorities, but by his worry and his fear. He does not want the worst-case scenario for his life, and so he denies. Where is it he doesn't want to go? Into rejection, mocking, suffering. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to suffer. And Jesus' words to him here are both terrifying and liberating. Jesus' words are terrifying because they make Peter's worst fear a reality. When you are old, you will go where you do not want to. Following Jesus will cost Peter and you everything. But it will also give Peter and you everything. You see, the worst case scenario is true for Peter. Not because he will suffer and die, but because he has followed Jesus. 
Following Jesus means that your short-term life will be shaped like the place of the skull. But it also means that your next life will be shaped like the new heavens and the new earth. Christian, in Jesus, the worst-case scenario for your life is already true. Crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 No longer I who live, but he who lives in me. The life I live now, live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The front part of that verse says, I have been crucified with Christ. The worst-case scenario for your life is already true. Crucified. And the best case scenario for your life is already true. Raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God in Christ. If you follow Jesus, that means that you are united to Him in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And therefore, the worst and the best case scenarios for your life are already true. What that means is there is nothing to fear. Nothing to worry about. There's no fear that can cripple the Christian's faithfulness, no sacrifice that the Christian cannot happily make for the glory of God. As Christians, our short-term lives are to look like the place of the skull. We are called to sacrifice. Jesus calls us to follow him. And when he calls us to follow him, he tells us not to pick up a crown, but to pick up a cross. It's a terrible thing that in our culture, many professing evangelicals have been lulled to sleep by a domesticated and comfortable Christianity. A Jesus that looks less like a lion and more like a house cat. A counterfeit, powerless, watered-down version of Christianity that calls us to our best life now instead of our best life in the new heavens and the new earth, instead of sacrifice. There's an old book called Dad, the Family Coach. Uh, It's by a guy named Dave Simmons. In it, Dave tells a story about a trip he and his two children, Helen, who was eight, and Brandon, who was five, took to the Cloverfield Mall. He writes, As they pulled up to the mall parking lot, I spied a Peterbilt 18-wheeler parked with a big sign on it that said, Petting Zoo. The kids both quickly began assaulting me with requests. Dad, can we go? Please, 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 can we go? As we entered Sears, I flipped both of them a quarter and headed off to take my time searching for a new scroll saw. He says, A petting zoo consists of a portable fence erected in the mall with about six inches of sawdust and about a hundred little furry baby animals of all kinds. Kids pay their money, and stay enraptured in the enclosure while their moms and dads shop. He says, a few minutes later, I I turn around and see Helen walking behind me. I was shocked to see that she preferred the hardware department to the petting zoo. Recognizing my error, I bent down and asked her, what's wrong? And she looked at me with those giant, limpid brown eyes and said, well, Daddy, The petting zoo cost 50 cents. So I gave Brandon my quarter. Then she said the most beautiful thing. She repeated the Simmons family motto. The family motto is love is action. She had given Brandon her quarter. 
And no one loves furry little animals more than Helen. She'd seen it in our house, heard us say it, love is action for years now. And finally, she had incorporated it into her lifestyle. It had become part of her. Now he says, what do you think I did? Not what you might think. After I finished my errands, I took Helen to the petting zoo, and we stood by the fence watching Brandon go crazy, petting and feeding the animals. Helen stood with her head rested atop the fence and her hands watching Brandon. I had 50 cents burning a hole in my pocket. But I never offered it to Helen. And she never asked. Because she knows the whole Simmons family motto. It's not love is action. It's love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love is expensive. Love always costs something. When you love, benefits accrue to another's account. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives, it doesn't grab. And Helen had given her quarter to Brandon. She knew she had to taste the sacrifice. She wanted to experience the whole family motto. Love is sacrificial action. My comfort will not keep me from loving you. My pursuit of comfort will not keep me from loving you like Jesus. My fear will not keep me from happily sacrificing for you. Friends, this is what Jesus is calling us into. Loving the people in this room is how you love Jesus. It's how you love him back. He's calling you to a rearranging of the furniture in your heart. The church is not a, a building, it's the people who you love. What sacrificial action will you take to better love Jesus by better loving his people? In Ephesians 5, Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Are you willing to love Jesus by loving his church? Will you give yourself up for those in this room? Are you willing to sacrifice your quarter? Love is sacrificial action. And Jesus says to Peter, love me, love my church. And I, I think the inverse is also true. Fail to love me. Sorry, fail to love my church, fail to love me. It is that important. Love for Jesus is evidenced by love for his church. Christian Jesus is asking those questions of you. Saying, do you love me? He's telling you to love his church. He's telling you to follow him in giving of your whole life for the good of God's people and God's own glory. And Jesus says to you this morning as he said to Peter then, follow me. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit as you have in the same measure given to Christ. Just pray that we would be controlled by your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into loving one another well, that you would forge a real and lasting and life-transforming gospel community here at Rockfish Valley Baptist Church. Father, we, we thank you that you have brought us a bunch of broken, wicked sinners in need of your saving grace, that you've brought us together by faith in your Son. That is the common bond that binds us all. We are united not by family ties, but by the blood of Christ. Father, help us to give ourselves for one another as you gave yourself for us. Help us to feel the weight of and to obey the command to love one another as you have loved us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.